shopping, and the arts at the gateway to the Catskill Park. LivingstonManorNY.com And from listeners like you. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to The Local Edition, news and information to keep you connected in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday, Patricia Robayo. Jason Lowe has a night off. In the second half of the show, we'll be checking in with Catherine Chesters and Jeffrey Hutchison. They are two artists who have an exhibition at Nonetta and Friends. The exhibition opens up this Saturday at 3 p.m. in Barryville. But first, we'll take a look what's happening across New York State. Although Kathy Hochul's 2023 state address puts numerous key issues front and center, some few of the solutions are myopic. However, they also list some ways to ensure that legislative solutions benefit everyday New Yorkers. Here's Edwin Vieira from the New York News Connection. While Governor Kathy Hochul's State of the State speech addressed key issues affecting New Yorkers, some feel the solutions fell short. In her speech, Hochul spoke about building more housing to combat the housing crisis, strengthening mental health care, public safety improvements, and raising the minimum wage to combat the high cost of living. But Rebecca Garrard with Citizen Action of New York feels Hochul's solutions and their implementation missed the mark for what New Yorkers need. She cites the current housing crisis as an example. What we heard nothing about, and what we know is desperately necessary, are increased tenant protections, such as good cause tenant protections, increased and new voucher programs that help tenants pay their rent. Gerard adds more should have been said about investing public money into community and public housing systems. According to a 2022 report from the New York State Association of Realtors, affordability remains a barrier to home purchasing. In her speech, Hochul announced the creation of the New York Housing Compact, which will be a series of policy changes to develop 800,000 new homes across the state in the coming decade. As the state's legislative session is already underway, Garrard is optimistic about upcoming policy priorities. She feels the legislature has a solid foundation for what New York should look like for its residents. Garrard notes any package of housing legislation needs to include good cause tenant protections. Good cause tenant protections simply say that a tenant who is following every aspect of their lease agreement cannot be evicted without cause, and there cannot be predatory rent increases that aren't associated with the cost of owning the building. Garrard says implementing these in upcoming housing legislation could help triage the crisis. According to the National Low-Income Housing Coalition, 31 states and 66 localities across the country have passed good tenant protection laws. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. Thank you so much. Edwin for that report. Also from Edwin Vieira from the New York News Connection, a recent report from the AARP, New York finds that older rural New Yorkers are facing housing and transportation disparities. Although there are solutions to these issues, it's uncertain if there's enough support to implement those solutions. 
A recent report from AARP New York finds older rural New Yorkers are struggling to age in place due to a wealth of disparities. The two biggest issues outlined in the report are housing and transportation access, each with its own set of challenges. For housing, many rural homes weren't built with accessibility in mind, and modifications can be costly. New York's Access to Home for Medicaid Recipients program, which funds these modifications, received requests totaling $12 million. However, the program only gets enough funding to handle $1 million in improvements. AARP New York State Director Beth Finkel feels a solution to this issue lies in easing zoning laws for accessory dwelling units. We could ease the zoning for those, give people the opportunity to adapt their homes or build on smaller pods onto their homes so that they can have their family members close by. The other issue with housing is affordability. The report finds more than 30% of a person's income is going toward housing. It becomes an issue for older adults who are on fixed incomes. Aside from this, she hopes the state will provide more funding for the Access to Home for Medicaid recipients program. Regarding transportation, Finkel notes there's limited access to public transit or ride-sharing. The report also finds groups that provide transportation for seniors don't have enough funding to make it more widely available. She feels now is the time to affect change to help older people in rural areas. It's really the right time for our governor and lawmakers to really address these issues so we can really have impact and change really what is becoming a dimmer and dimmer picture for rural old workers. Some ways to boost transportation in rural areas would be to have more public-private partnerships for transportation and increased funding. Overall, she wants to ensure older New Yorkers living in rural areas have options to age in place, rather than looking elsewhere for the needs of their twilight years. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. And moving right along... A new law in New York allows people to choose more environmentally friendly options to traditional burials. He's Edwin Rivera from the New York News Connection. New York is the sixth state to approve legislation for what's known as natural composting. Natural composting is when, after death, a body is put into a vessel with materials that will help it compost faster. Though it's still relatively new, the process is being seen as one way to reduce death's carbon footprint. Caitlin Hauke with the Green Burial Council describes how natural composting is more environmentally friendly than a traditional burial. You're not doing any sort of embalming of the body. It's much like a green burial the body is going straight into the process, sort of unadulterated. So there's also no casket involved, so you're not putting different materials that don't belong in the ground into the ground. She says the difference between natural composting and a green burial is that the burial doesn't involve anything that would delay decomposition. One challenge to this is finding a cemetery that allows for natural burials, as some municipalities may not allow it. How key feels activism for these options will be what gets laws to change and generate more enthusiasm at the local level. With environmentally friendly alternatives for burials gaining popularity, alternatives to cremation are being sought out as well. One alternative is known as alkaline hydrolysis. It is similar to a traditional cremation, but uses lye and water instead of fire. I'm Edwin J. Vieira, New York News Connection. Find our eight trust indicators to support transparency and accuracy at publicnewsservice.org. We'll be right back talking to Catherine and Jeffrey, two artists who will be showcasing their work at the upcoming exhibition at Nonoeda and Friends, which opens this Saturday. 
Stay tuned. listening to the local edition winner of two excellence in broadcasting awards from the new york state broadcasters association radio catskill listen local what's up radio catskill greg mcvicker here putting you on the guest list to join us for a laid-back music party that we call undercurrents it's a mix of exciting new tunes with some old favorites and lots of other songs that you forgot that you knew we go across all genres and don't worry about it. It just all flows together. I'll bring the music. You bring your ears and we'll do this. Undercurrents. Monday through Thursday at noon. Welcome back to the local edition. News and information to keep you connected in the Catskills in Northeast Pennsylvania. I'm your host for this Tuesday, Patricia Robayo. Catherine Chesters and Jeffrey Hutchison are two artists who have an exhibition at Donetta and Friends, which opens this Saturday at 3 p.m. in Barryville. Catherine Chesters is a multidisciplinary artist based in Sullivan County, and Jeffrey Hutchison is a nationally and internationally exhibited published fine art, travel, and documentary photographer. The new exhibit transformation it showcases the unique talents of these two artists Catherine her multimedia expertise as well as Jeffrey with his photography they are both on the program with us now to tell us more about this unique exhibition Catherine and Jeffrey welcome to the program Catherine before we get into this exhibition I gave a very brief intro of who everyone was can you get more into about who you are and more about your artwork I've been an artist, uh, practicing as an artist over the last 15 years. I started as a graphic designer when I was 16. So I've been working in a creative field all my life, but I've been working with a lot of discipline and constraints through commercial design. So it was um, in my early 30s, I decided to break out of that to try and unleash the beast that is the creative in a, an open way. And um, I often use, I call myself a multidisciplinary artist because I enjoy a lot of different um, formats, screen printing, painting, compositing, collage. I sometimes wrap in digital work as this show has will show you. So I kind of like to stretch across all the different platforms, um, combining color theory and work that I've learned along the way through design work and branding. And then, um, as an artist, really dipping into, um, surreal, slightly psychedelic at times. I like to touch on neons and it's all about composition and color as well as just a freedom. That, uh, is an inert, innate reaction to the constraints of design that I've been fighting for a long time. <laughs> and how about you, Jeffrey? Can you tell us more about yourself and your art? Okay. Well, I began taking photographs as a teenager in high school. I wanted to be a scientist as a kid. Um, 
but I had a terrible problem with math. And I had a math teacher who told me that I would never be a scientist because of that. Um, I also enjoyed art, but I didn't really have the patience for painting or drawing. But then I took a photography class with a wonderful teacher, and I realized that photography was kind of a mixture of both science and art. And so it was really perfect for me, and I, I decided at the age of 17 that I was going to dedicate my life to photography. Um, so against my father's best wishes, I went to art school, the School of Visual Arts in New York City. And um, while I was there, a teacher had said, that it was a good idea to develop a skill in the industry um, outside of wanting to be a uh, fine art photographer just uh, because we weren't going to make it right off the bat coming out of school. So I decided to work in um, photo labs and I became very proficient at printing. And then when I got out of school, I became a printer for um, some fine art photographers and photojournalists. And um, I worked at Magnum in the library. So I, I sort of fed my photojournalist for journalistic interests there. And then um, in 1996, I started my own rental darkroom company in New York City, Print Space, um, which was, um, it's still in existence, but at the time it was a rental darkroom where we, we um, had 30 enlargers and a lot of great photographers came in and used our facilities. Um, I've continued to make photographs throughout my life, and uh, I tend to work on long-term projects, up to eight years. Um, documentary project was a project on Laos, and um, this is a new thing for me, collaborating with somebody else. I've worked with artists on their work before, um, but I've never worked with an artist in a collaborative way, the way that uh, Catherine and I have, and it's been very interesting, to say the least. Well, let's talk about that. How did uh, Catherine and Jeffrey uh, meet and, and start collaborating? I, uh, yeah, we met. Um, I think I first ran into Jeffrey at 108 at the uh, barn here in Narrowsburg that George and Amy have. And um, shortly after that, Nana asked me if I would be interested in a collaboration with Jeffrey. I had never collaborated with an artist before. I've only done my own work. Obviously, I collaborate when I do all the branding and design work with teams, but uh, as an artist, I'd never done that before. Um, and I didn't really think much about it. I didn't really go into the thought process about how it might be. So I just said, yes, I know we'd met and I knew he had, um, I knew some of his work and his eye seemed to, his eye and the way he looked at nature seemed to connect with the way that I viewed the world. So I just said yes and we jumped right in. It took us a little while to figure out just what a collaboration meant to us. That was part of the process. Okay, can you expand on that and how the collaboration actually worked? The first stage of it was um, I gave Catherine some photographs to paint on. Um, she's got an interesting technique. I'll let her talk about it. Jeffrey rejected them. <laughs> oh, no, I, li I, I like them, but I, um, it wasn't a finished thing. It was it was the start of something. So we had what we've ended up with is is a kind of a collage of many different <laughs> different types of things. I don't know. Um, we started with one piece and that was the kernel where Jeffrey gave me a bunch of prints of ex outdoor photography and I laid print marks on top of them, uh, working with some iridescent paints that I enjoy working with. And the objective of that was to abstract the images. So instead of it just being a shot of uh, woods, a beautiful shot of nature, 
there was I added movement through these elements of transparent and iridescent paints. And from the, there was one that was really successful that had different markings on it. And that really was the beginning for us. And that we played with Jeffrey sending me an object or sending me some composited art and some things worked and some things didn't. And what really it solidified down to was his objects, his isolated objects from nature or his landscape shots were the best way for us to work forward. And then I would place collaged, um, I would do painting and then scan in the painting and place elements on top. And we would work with layers and composition. And then when we finally got the final prints done, uh, there was extra layers of print markings and paint added to the final pieces that are the originals that will be on the show, in the show. Jeffrey, when you gave the prints to Catherine, were they digital prints? Were they silver prints? What was the, the actual format? They're digital prints. They were from a series that I call Tustin Reveries that I did uh, about five years ago. Um, all the photographs were taken in, in Tustin, and it was sort of a way for me to reconnect with nature, something I continue. I, I love Tustin. I love photographing in Tustin. And there are some line drawings that I contributed as well, which are actually, they started out as photographs of really old apple trees with, you know, beautiful shapes and lines and weathering and stuff like that. So I just, I just uh, sort of traced the fine lines and uh, some of the images that we came up with have, have those lines laid upon them. Um, and then there's some scans of leaves and snake skins um, that are also part of, part of the collage. And then I would take elements like I would deconstruct a butterfly, like the Red Admiral butterfly, and take parts or deconstruct it and take away everything but the pattern on the wings and make them very graphic components. And those you can see overlaid in some of the imagery as well. So we kind of really took everything literally from nature and elements that are out there, creatures, things that are Maybe threatening extinction. Yeah. There's a little bit of commentary on that in a way, or it nods to it, you know. How large are the pieces of work that will be displayed this weekend at Nunuaneta and Friends? Oh, they're various sizes. Um, there are six pieces that are 12 by 18. A couple of larger pieces that are, are they 24 by 36? Two 24 by 36, yeah. Yeah. One. And then one very large one. 36 by 48. And then we have individual pieces on on um, separate walls. Three of the walls are the collaboration pieces, and then we each have our own smaller wall with um, individual pieces. Now, Catherine, you have a background in design directing and putting together campaigns and packages of, of, of for for advertising. Did you have a hand in sort of? Obviously, you had a hand because you were collaborating with Jeffrey. But was did you use those skills in in showcasing these new pieces of work? I applied my knowledge and skills of working with teams and planning um, and my experience in very high-end production. I definitely was able to have an awareness in driving the production side of this project um but i don't think that 
in the work itself it's presented in that way it's you know we we very much um just created these pieces i don't i don't think there was any kind of connection to the way i work with uh design projects or apart from the fact that i really understand how production is on a mass level and the time it takes and i think i had to put on a bit of a producer hat in this situation to drive us to the finish line wouldn't you say jeffrey yeah it was a really a lot of work especially towards the end there Catherine, if folks want to learn more about your work where can they go yeah, I have to, because I'm split, I work as a designer and branding um, designer, creative director, and a painter. Um, I have two separate art, uh, websites. My painting website is com, and my creative direction and design is com. I've got a website, which is jeffreyhutchinson.com. Mostly I show my work on Instagram now. Oh yeah, I also have. No, uh, yeah, I was just to say I have um I have Instagram too. Catherine Chester's underscore art is where I put all of my painting work, or not just painting, everything art expression. You're presenting in a unique gallery in Barryville, and I know Catherine Sullivan County is a place you call home. How is it, you know, having your work up in this unique gallery in Sullivan County? It is, yeah. Um, it's, I've been coming up here since 96, but it's been a full-time home since, um, I bought, I moved here in 2016 and made it full, full-time in 2020. And, um, I love this, um, area. I think that it's so nurturing for artists and the creative community at large. And there's a lot of support and it's so refreshing to be here outside of New York City where, you feel like a drop in the ocean, whereas here I feel like we're all waves in a river, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> it does feel that way. How about you, Jeffrey? Do you live in a city, or are you here full time in Sullivan County? Oh no, no. Um, I moved. I, my ex-wife and I bought a house in Barry. Um, sorry, in Pond Eddy in two thousand four. Splitting time between the city and here. Um, when uh, we called it quits, um, I kept the house and. We, Moved up here full time two thousand eight. Um, I'm able to do some work for for my business um, online. Um, it's retouching and printing and things like that. But yeah, so I've I've been here almost twenty years, and uh, I don't miss the city. <laughs> well, glad that you made Sullivan County your home. I was talking to somebody else about this just the other day about. What is it about Sullivan County that is drawing so many artists and folks up here? You know, there's other places you could visit and other places you could stay outside of New York City. And obviously people have, but it seems to be drawing um, folk. People have been, seem to be drawn to Sullivan County. I think, you know, with the pandemic, a lot of people came up here to escape and then they liked what they saw. Um, a lot of earlier waves of, of emigres from New York City went north to Beacon and, and to Kingston and places like that. Um, it, but Sullivan was sort of last to be discovered. And it's it's a wide open space here still. Having been here for almost 20 years, I've seen a lot of changes. And the changes in the last just three years are enormous compared to what's happened 
over the decades. Yeah. A lot of energy. Yes, I definitely witnessed that the growth happened. Uh, there was one place to eat in Narrowsburg 10 years ago. <laughs> and now there's you know plenty of places. I think that economically as well, there's a creative pull here because it's like the last kind of state that's only two and a half hours from the city that you can, um, that people have been able to afford as creatives. You know, a lot of people were pushed out of the city from the rising of rent and it's not super cheap here anymore either compared to the mid nineties. It's changed drastically, like uh, Jeff said, but I think that it's still, um, very supportive for creatives and that you can still find more space to work, which is always the really hard thing. And in the city, you know, it costs the same as a rental just to have a square box with no lights in the city to have a paint studio. It's really hard to do creative if you haven't got the time and the space and this town and this, um, this county definitely allows you time and space to forge out for yourself and you can live up here and create. Um, I also think that there's just this really natural, there's a magnetic pull. It sounds strange, but I do think that there's some kind of very strong pull. I mean, Woodstock happened around the corner. That was a hive of creativity for musicians. And there's just seems like there's always been this pull for a creative type, you know, and I think we have so much history led into this area too, that, um, it's, it's, it's really, um, welcoming for creatives, really welcoming. Yeah, there's there's an older infrastructure of artists that have been here for quite a while, and uh, like the DVAA um, was a, sort of the center of that whole world. Uh, but then you have all these new people who are coming from the city who are uh, used to networking and um, seeking each other out for you know creative expression. So it's it's a uh, it's a whole new sort of addition to the, to the existing art world. And Nana's is a perfect example of that. I mean, Nana has her own creative. She's got her own pottery studio, yet she does all this extra work to invite artists of the community to share and show their work, you know, and she's facilitated this gallery, which is fantastic. And you find things like that popping up all over the place. She's a real community builder. Catherine and Jeffrey, before we go, is there anything else I have not touched on that you want our listeners to know about? No, I just, um, I just think that this is a great place to express and I encourage everybody to do that. I'm going to be doing some teaching, uh, with Bethel Woods. Um, I'm one of their teachers that they brought on this year. So, um, look out for any classes and we'll be doing some intuitive painting classes. So I guess I can let you know about that. That'll be coming up um, in March and hopefully more and more outreach to work with communities and bring creativity to everybody who's sitting there scared to pick up a pencil and put it to paper. And you, Jeffrey? Sure. I just want to encourage people to come to the opening on Saturday. Um, There's going to be a great mix of people there. Catherine's friends, my friends, uh, Nona's friends, and a lot of, lot of really exciting creative people getting together, getting to know each other, uh, this communal space. Uh, so yeah, I hope to, hope to see some people there. Yeah. 16 Old Brook Road, Barryville, New York, 12719. Three to seven. <laughs> Three to seven on Saturday. At Nonetta and Friends Gallery. What a perfect outro. <laughs> <laughs> 
Thank you so much, Catherine and Jeffrey, for joining me on the program. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. And that does it for the local edition. We'll be back tomorrow talking to Liam Mayo, other river reporter, and Jim Huntington to let us know what's happening economically, nationally, and how it affects us here locally. If you ever miss a show, we have a podcast. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcast, Google, Apple, Stitcher. Search for WJFF, the local edition. Subscribe, share it, tell your friends. Find us on social media. We're at WJFF Radio Catskill. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Visit our website, wjffradio.org slash the local edition. You can find upcoming guests, see past guests, and you can even listen to the show. You've been listening to The Local Edition. I've been your host for this Tuesday, Patricio Robayo. Have a good night, Lucy. This is Radio Catskill, your NPR station, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. Support comes from the Homestead School, Montessori Education, preschool through early college with campuses in Glens Bay and Hurleyville, building the intelligence, creativity, connection, and skills for an ecological future since 1978. Homesteadschool.com. From the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York. Riverreporter.com. And from listener donations at WJFFradio.org. Hey everybody, this is Jeff Loeffler of The Deep End and you can join me each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight as I explore the deep end of the catalogs of bands maybe you know, maybe you don't know. You'll hear some Rolling Stones, Grateful Dead, Government Mule right alongside bands like The Electric, Peanut Butter, Conspiracy, Kula Shaker, and Supergrass. That's The Deep End each and every Friday night from 10 to midnight right here on Radio Catskill. You're listening to Radio Catskill, WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello, 